Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this on Saturday, December 30th, 2023, and you're listening to this on December 31st, 2023. Um, so yeah, this is the last show of the year. Um, my name is Jasmine, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese. How are you doing, Reese? I'm doing well. Wow. I never say that. <laughs> But yeah, I'm glad the year is over. Happy to have completed the holidays, seeing family, and now just taking it easy, you know, until we have to start back up again. But I'm good. Happy to be here on the last last show of the year with you, Jazz. Yeah, we made it. We did it. We did it, Joe. We did it, Reese. We did, and we keep doing it. We've been doing this thing for a long time now. For this week's show, for local news, we'll be talking about the last day of Sunday service at a few Brooklyn public libraries due to budget cuts. For national news, we'll be talking about various states that are trying to keep a Donald Trump off of the uh, off of the ballot for the upcoming election. For world news, we'll be talking about um, basically a year in review for climate change for the climate crisis. And for good news, we'll be talking about some very good boys and girls that were all adopted from a shelter uh, that cleared out for the first time in its history. Um, so for local news, um, I will get started. This information comes from Hellgate. Uh, the article was written on December the 18th. Uh, the contributors were Katie Way, Nick Pinto, and Max Rivlin-Nadler. The title is One Last Sunday at Two Brooklyn Public Libraries. It's a big loss. Uh, and I'm gonna read most of it, but some things have been cut for the sake of time. On a bleak and rainy afternoon, Brooklynites said goodbye to Sundays at all their local libraries. Thanks to budget cuts from the Adams administration, eight branches and the borough that were previously open seven days a week will now be open six. Borough Park, Brooklyn Heights, Central, Greenpoint, Kings Highway, Macon, Midwood, and New Lots. New York Public Library and Queens Public Library branches across the rest of the boroughs already opened and closed for their last Sunday in late November because of those same cuts, minus a lone Queens Public Library branch in Kew Gardens, which is closed on Saturdays instead. This is news to me, and it's disappointing, Daniel Schwartz, who was at the new BPL branch in Brooklyn Heights, told Hellgate. Schwartz said he sometimes hosts a writing group at the library in its rentable rooms. I'm just wondering where the money is going instead. That was my first thought, Schwartz added. As an institution of knowledge and a hub for culture, the community will be missing out. People work during the week and on the weekend. It's their time to come here. It's a big loss. This is the second time that the city's libraries have found their way to the chopping block this year. In the spring, New Yorkers rallied against a proposal to slash 36 million before the fiscal year 2024 budget dropped. 
Under pressure, the Adams administration and the city council reversed the cuts, but in November, the mayor ordered up another round of cuts. This time, $23.6 million would be taken from libraries. The cost-cutting measures also hit popular programs like community composting sites and universal pre-K. Mayor Adams has cited the cost of housing migrants, along with the dearth of federal funding and decreased tax revenues, as justifications for the cuts, which have already been contested by the city council and are the subject of a lawsuit brought by the city's largest union of public sector workers. Meanwhile, in Greenpoint, it was also business as usual in the neighborhood BPL branch. An older guy charged his phone. A mother and daughter browsed the children's book section, and a disheveled man whose pants had fallen down to somewhere around his knees scrolled YouTube. A library is a cornerstone of human connection and development, one visitor who declined to give his name told Hellgate. I was homeless twice and the library was home. Maybe I cannot sleep in it, but I can definitely grab a book and escape, go and develop business ideas. I'm a freelancer because the library inspired me to do so. Outside, near the corner of Norman Avenue and Leonard Street, around 50 people had gathered in front of the library to rally against the closures. Emily Drabinsky, a Brooklyn resident and president of the American Library Association, traveled from her home in Windsor Terrace to join the pushback. It's a rainy day and I can't think of another place in this city on a Sunday where, without purchasing anything, any single person walking down the street can go inside, have a seat, go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, log on to email, check out a book, learn how to knit, Drabinsky said. When you say times are hard, I want to ask, times are hard for who? Times are hard for the people who need access to this public institution on a Sunday. Are times hard for the people who are not paying their fair share so the city can serve the needs of everyone who lives here? Local lawmakers echo Drabinsky's sentiments. The mayor is very focused on public safety and what studies across the country and across the world time and again have shown is that providing safe spaces like libraries is the core of public safety, State Assembly Member Emily Gallagher told Hellgate. New York City is the greatest city in the world and we shouldn't have to fight for our bare minimum services for residents every single year. There's a lot of other ways we can make the budget work. In a speech, Brooklyn Council Member Lincoln Ressler pointed out the many services Brooklyn Public Libraries provide New Yorkers free of charge and often difficult to get anywhere else, like after-school support, community fridges, literacy assistance, and public bathrooms that don't cost a dime to use. What is up with Eric Adams and his austerity agenda? The Independent Budget Office said there are billions of dollars in additional revenue this year. The Council Finance Division said there are billions of dollars in additional revenue this year, he said. There is no need for the mayor's cuts. Another speaker, Lauren Comito, Executive Director of Urban Libraries Unite, talked about the intangible benefits libraries provide New Yorkers too, the kinds of things visitors brought up when we spoke to them. This is a place where people know each other, those sort of tangential connections you don't get when you're working from home or staring at your phone on the subway, she said.
Everybody loses when the library closes for a day. So yeah, like for this week's episode, I kind of wanted to pick out um, a couple stories that draw that circle back to things we've discussed earlier in the year. Um, And in April, we talked about the potential of libraries having to cut down on a lot of services. Um, And as this article mentioned, they were able to reverse those cuts. But well, as we can see now, that was temporary. Um, So unfortunately, now that 2023 is coming to a close, um, there's a number of services and things that have been eliminated um, at this point for the public library systems and you know, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion, it's really sad, and I don't, I don't believe that it's necessary. I agree. I mean, there's so many other places that they can make cuts from in the city to keep some one of the more um, real community service-based institutions alive that doesn't require a lot of attention, money, maintenance, but is really uh, a place of service for a lot of people who, um, you know, are forgotten in New York City. Also like the reality that so many things are, so many people are served through the services of a library. Um, I think get lost in translation with these budget cuts. So it's sad to know that, you know, we're entering a time where this might be something of the, of the past. You know, these kids today are not even gonna know what it's like to spend your Saturday morning at the library because um, it's not encouraged and then if the places aren't open they're not even available anymore yeah it's it's really it, it is upsetting and we've already seen so many attacks on libraries and librarians um, over the past few years and especially like 2022 2023 it's been really egregious um, with book bans you know people showing up to libraries with um like assault rifle like with weapons because they're angry about programs or books on the shelves Um, in Massachusetts the police raided a library because a book was there like a book called gender queer was on the shelves and the police came in and raided it like it does feel like uh, have you ever read that book Fahrenheit 451 yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, it's been a long time for me, too. Like, I read it, and I also watched the movie. And um, for listeners who aren't familiar, Fahrenheit 451 is a book by Raymond by Ray Bradbury. And the title is that because in the world of the book, uh, for, Fahrenheit 451 is the temperature at which books burn. And it's set in a dystopian future where firefighters start fires they go they to burn books like they don't put fires out so reading and books are no longer legal and anyone who does still have them like you're sought out as like a criminal and it does feel like we're moving more and more towards like this place of like anti-intellectual intellectualism a lack of respect like for experts and learning and things that you need for a community to be healthy but then it's like every time you turn around it's like millions of dollars in overtime for the police like millions of dollars for like robots to be patrolling around subway stations but you know as the article brought out and as other articles have brought out one of the things that helps to keep 
you know, certain types of crime and delinquency or whatever down is if people have a place to go and they have stuff to do. Yeah, I don't think that the people who make these decisions really think about like the actual needs of the everyday New Yorker and what it's like to not have those resources available. They just keep taking shit, taking shit. Every time you turn around, something's done, something's finished. Um, and we will now know a city that does not have as many resources as it used to, that's much harder for everyday New Yorkers to live in. Um, and as you know, it used to be a time where the way that public life and the services were available to New Yorkers was kind of a model for a lot of other cities across the country. But with all these reductions, I'm sure that's not the same message anymore. Yeah, for sure. Like it really is like you're paying more for less, you know, people are being squeezed more and more. And it's like, you know, wages are not going up. Rent is going up for most people. And then, you know, fares are going up on the subway. It's like almost $3 to go one way. Like, it's just so backwards. And, you know, like we really do need these spaces. You can get access to internet, like free Wi-Fi, um, even if you're just like at right outside. So like I could work on different things. I could grade papers. I could clear my head. And yeah, I would go in sometime when, like when you're out and about and you're like, oh, I got to use the bathroom. It's like, you know, you can pop into a library. And when you take that stuff away, I'm like, you're going to have more people doing stuff like using the bathroom, like in public, you know what I mean? Like when you take away different resources, that is then going to create a bigger problem because instead of having something that's bridging that gap, you have nothing. And then people are going to be like finding other ways to occupy their time that are more of a nuisance, that are destructive, that are unsightly because what else is going to happen, you know? Like, especially when you think about like after school programs and a lot of different stuff that's available for younger people, where else can they go that's like free? And what money do they have? Kids are broke. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like people who just moved to New York for the first time, whether they come in for college or whatever reason that they end up in the city, you know, those libraries really do provide a lifeline. I know they did for me when I first moved there. I definitely spent some time getting into the library system for various reasons, but it did help me to navigate the city a lot better and, you know, gave me somewhere to go that I could afford at times when I couldn't. So it's definitely a new day when these type of spaces are now, you know, things of the past. And are we going to be doing this talking about this shit after a while? Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel that maybe it's this type of thing is what it takes for some people to kind of have a wake-up call if this is important to you i would suggest that you know tap into what's going on with your local library branch like a lot of libraries have like boards that you can run for that you can be a part of or they have friends of the library groups that you can join if you're in the district you know like it really is like an all hands on deck situation and Sometimes it takes these more drastic things to kind of wake people up that you can't take this stuff for granted. You know, like it takes work and consistent work to, you know, have these services because they can go away in the blink of an eye if not enough people are pushing back for them. 
Definitely a good point and a good story. Yeah. So uh, for our first musical break, this is Elvis Costello with What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our national news story. All right. This comes from the Times. Um, This article's title is, Would Keeping Trump Off the Ballot Hurt or Help Democracy? Some critics say the battles over the former president's ballot status are turning him into a martyr and eroding faith in American elections. Um, The authors of this article are... Jack Healy, Anna Betts, Mike Baker, and Jill Cohen. As a top elections official in Washington state, Steve Hobbs says he is troubled by the threat former President Donald J. Trump poses for democracy and fears the prospect of his return to power. But he also worries that recent decisions in Maine and Colorado to bar Mr. Trump from presidential primary ballots there could backfire further eroding Americans' fraying faith in U.S. elections. Removing him from the ballot would, on its face value, seem very anti-democratic, said Mr. Hobbs, a Democrat who is in his first term as Secretary of State. Then he added a critical caveat. 
but so is trying to overthrow your country? Mr. Hobbs' misgivings reflect deep divisions and unease among elected officials, democracy experts, and voters over how to handle Mr. Trump's campaign to reclaim the presidency four years after he went to extraordinary lengths in an attempt to overturn the 2020 election. While some, like Hobbs, think it's best that voters settle this matter, others say that Mr. Trump's efforts require accountability and should be legally disqualifying. Challenges to Mr. Trump's candidacy have been filed in at least 32 states, though many of those challenges have gained little or no traction and some have languished on court dockets for months. The decisions happening right now come amid a collapse in faith in American electoral system, said Nate Persilli, a Stanford Law School professor who specializes in election law and democracy. We're, we are walking in new constitutional snow here to try to figure out how to deal with these unprecedented developments, he said. Professor Pesley and other legal experts said they expected the United States Supreme Court will ultimately overturn the decision in Colorado and Maine to keep Mr. Trump on the ballot, perhaps sidestepping the question of whether Mr. Trump engaged in an insurrection. Mr. Pesley is hopeful that whatever ruling the court issues will bring clarity and soon. This is not a political and electoral system that can deal with ambiguity right now, he said. Mr. Trump and his supporters have called the disqualifications in Maine and Colorado partisan ploys that rob voters of their right to choose candidates. They accuse Democrats of hypocrisy for trying to bar Mr. Trump from the ballot after campaigning in the past two elections as champions of democracy. After the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Mr. Trump should be removed from the Supreme from the state's primary ballot, Senator J.D. Vance, Republican of Ohio, said in a statement, apparently democracy is when judges tell people they're not allowed to vote for a candidate leading in the polls. This is disgraceful. The Supreme Court must take the case and end this assault on American voters. Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey and Mr. Trump's most ardent critic in the Republican primary, warned that Maine's decision would turn Mr. Trump into a martyr. But other prominent critics of Mr. Trump, many of them anti-Trump Republicans, said that the threat he posed to democracy and his actions surrounding the January 6th attack on the Capitol now required an extraordinary intervention, whatever the electoral consequences. The challenges are based on a Reconstruction era provision of the 14th Amendment that prohibits anyone who is engaged in a rebellion or insurrection from holding federal or state office. J. Michael Ludig, a retired conservative federal appeals court judge, held Colorado and Maine's decision as unsaleable interpretations of the Constitution. Officials in Maine and Colorado who disqualified Mr. Trump from the ballot have written that their decisions stem from the following language of the Constitution. But on the recent sunny Friday afternoon in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles, Dina Drew is 37, a copywriter, and Aaron Bagley, 43, a contractor, both to whom have consistently voted for Democrats, expressed a queasy ambivalence over such an extraordinary step. I'm just really conflicted, Mr. Bagley said. It's hard to imagine he didn't fully engage in insurrection. Everything points to it. But the other half of the country is in a position where they feel like they should be up to, to the electorate. Officials in Democratic-controlled California have shown little appetite for following Colorado and Maine. California's Democratic State of Secretary of State Shirley Weber announced on Thursday that Mr. Trump will remain on the ballot and Governor Gavin Newsom dismissed calls by other Democrats to remove him. 
We defeat candidates at the polls, Mr. Newsom said in a statement. Everything else is a political distraction. In interviews, some voters and experts said it was premature to disqualify Mr. Trump because he had not criminal, been criminally convicted of insurrection. They would, they worried that red state officials could use the tactic to knock Democratic candidates off future ballots or that the disqualification could further position the country's political division while giving Mr. Trump a new grievance to rally against. There's a bit more to the article, but I think that's enough for discussion. Uh, so much here to unpack. Um, I think it is interesting that these states have decided to take him off their ballot. Uh, this just shows how ununited these states are. Um, what do you think so far? Well, I think it's, um, it's appropriate that they're using a reconstruction era law about you know people that have been that have engaged in open rebellion against the country because uh, as much as people will often like compare what we've been seeing in the past few years in this country with um, like Nazi Germany like I think it's more appropriate to look at post Civil War America like it's a much better analogy in my opinion and I think that we see what happened after the Civil War. Well, if you're someone who knows history, like, you know that after the Civil War, there was, like, a failure to really take seriously, like, rooting people out of the government that had been loyal to the Confederacy, and it just allowed for a lot of progress that was made, especially in the South, by freed uh, formerly enslaved black people to be clawed back by like angry white vigilante violence um, and force the country back into like an undemocratic like certain parts of the country were under like minority rule and I feel like we're in a similar situation now with people threatening violence like at elections like we all saw what happened on January 6th like that really we were facing a situation where we could have seen like politicians like executed like on television and I don't think enough people understand that or take it seriously so that was like a long roundabout way of saying, I think a lot of the hand wringing about like, oh, but it's not fair and we have to follow the rule and we're going to defeat him at the ballot box is really not a good idea. <laughs> like, I think you have to stamp yeah. this type of thing out like aggressively and all of this like, oh, like I just have faith in the system. I think it's it's incredibly naive. And I yeah. also think Democrats need to be serious about picking a different candidate than who we currently have, because this man does not have the juice to win in 2024. I don't believe it. Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I definitely think that if more people had an opportunity to participate in the reasoning behind taking him off the ballot, they would. Uh, but I don't know if that would be, you know, of course, I don't think that would be the majority of the country, right? Because there's a high possibility this man got the shit in the bag. Um, and we know for a fact that nobody is fucking with Biden like that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that need to change with the electoral process here. I think Americans, honestly, as the article was saying from the beginning, have no faith in the electoral process, specifically after um, the insurrection. And the fact that the consequences for the insurrection still are unclear. 
still are out there, still are debatable. The fact that they're not saying this man tried to take over the country and it's so obvious um, that, that he definitely orchestrated what we've seen and a lot of the hate, hate uh, behavior that happened in this country during and after his term uh, was definitely stimulated by his ability to get people riled up for these reasons that America's already always been American. But in the same context, um, I do feel that if more states took an honest approach and thought about what the electoral process means to them from a local level and how it affects people's ability to participate, maybe they would take this a bit more serious. I don't think barring him from the election is going to change anybody's real idea of democracy because it's very clear why we're doing that. Um, and for them to say that it would possibly be a tactic used for other Democrats, which one has caused an insurrection? That's all I'm trying to say. If it's one that's, that's done the same shit, then that's clearly okay. True. But then our lifetime is clearly okay. If that, if, you know, call apples and apples, but no one's done what he's done in our lifetime and no one else will get away with it. So that is a reason to take swift and aggressive steps towards eliminating the possibility of him having another run. Um, I think we need all hands on deck. Shit, courts, local governments, podcasts like this, the homie on the block. Like, honestly, if this guy, this guy gets another opportunity, he's going to fucking take it. And they're going to make sure he does. So, um, you know, one of the reasons I brought this story, I hate talking about him. I really do. But this is some, This is where we are, you know, realistically in this country and what will happen um, even within the next three months as we go into primary seasons heavy, we'll really denote what's going to happen in the fall. So something to pay attention to and, you know, uh, just to examine how these states were able to eliminate his possibility to be on their ballot. I think that's something worth uh, talking about. We're at the point now where these people are like far right extremists. Like we have people that are straight up like blatantly racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, misogynist. They don't want people to have like access to reproductive care. They don't want children to be educated in actual information. They want them to be indoctrinated with like white supremacy. This is what we're facing. These people do not care about rules and like following the process. They don't give a damn about any of that. So like if you're dealing with someone who's at that level, it doesn't make sense to basically give in to what they want because you're afraid of how upset they will be. Who gives a damn? Because when the shoe is on the other foot, they don't do that. They go right on ahead and do whatever and steamroll whatever through. And then you have people that yeah. are supposed to be their opposition. They're like, oh, well, those are the rules. And it's it's so ridiculous. And I think it's because and we've talked about it on the show before, we got a lot of people that are nearing the end of life that are in the establishment that are not probably going to live to see the effects of what's happening in this country long-term. And even if they were around for it, they're insulated enough where they will be protected from the worst effects or they think they will be protected. And they're buddy-buddy with a lot of these demons. But then we're the ones who lose out you know, because it's like all a bunch of theater and it's really like you've already lost if you start losing ground and giving up things because you're like, oh, but if I do this, the opposition will be upset. It's like they're deranged anyway. You have to be like, a, like you have to fight fire with fire. Like you can't bring like 
a BB gun to like an AK-47 fight. Like it doesn't, I don't know. I just, I don't know what planet some people are on when, when they're talking this la-di-da, like, well, we beat them at the ballot box. It's like, and how did that work out the last time he, at the ballot box? Like the guy we got now who I do not like barely squeaked in. At the end of the day, we do need swift, aggressive, and very short action to be taken in matters that are so serious. But that's how these laws are created. They only eligible and only work for the people who want them to work when they want them to work. As long as you're on the right side of the argument, these laws will do whatever the fuck you want them to do. And that's the truth. <laughs> Unfortunately, many of us are not on that side. But anyway, that's, that's my two cents. The laws be doing what they want to do for whom they are to serve. And a lot of times that is not us. Uh, most of the time. Most of the time, you know, you got people that are dead in the grave because of, oh, a traffic stop, because of some weed, or they're wasting away in a jail cell near death, you know, over a misdemeanor. You know, you got people on all types of watch lists because they're exercising, like, their right to protest and free speech and all of this. And then you have someone like this man like 45 who can openly encourage like rebellion and violence and all of this and he's still eligible to be the leader of this country it's like they're right to say that confidence in the electoral process is in the gutter because it is and you know this country is it's been in the gutter for a while and i don't really see things improving that soon but I guess, like, with the library stuff, like, I hope that more people kind of wake up to the gravity of the situation that we face and that the system we have now is not working and it needs to drastically change, period. period. It's not no business as usual. It hasn't been bu- business as usual was bad already. Business as usual went out the window so long ago. Yeah, it's been bad business. But now it's going from worse to worser. <laughs> True. So, yeah, I mean, I hope more people kick his bleep off the bleeping ballot. I, you know, I won't say what else. This Joe needs to get off of it, too, if we're being real. Like, get someone in there that's, you know, this is crazy. We're even seeing now, you know, people want one thing and he's vetoing everything or like bypassing Congress to do whatever he wants. It's money for weapons, 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 but price of everything going up at the supermarket. You can't get student loan relief. You can't get a decent minimum wage passed in this country. You can't bypass Congress to do whatever you need to do to protect abortion rights, but you can give billions, untold billions for weapons to Ukraine, to Israel, to wherever else. It's a joke. It's a right. sick joke. Oh, shoot. <laughs> exactly. We need, some, we need some music. Yeah, yeah. So you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, this is Sly and the Family Stone with K Sarah, Sarah, or whatever will be, will be. We'll be right back. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? 
I will be talking about some world news. Uh, this information comes from The Guardian. The article was written December 29th by Jonathan Watts. The title is World Will Look Back at 2023 as Year Humanity Exposed Its Inability to Tackle Climate Crisis, Scientists Say. Uh, and this was quite a lengthy article, so I had to cut a bit of it out again for the sake of time but i encourage you to read the full thing and the linked articles on the website um on your own the hottest year in recorded history cast doubts on humanity's ability to deal with a climate crisis of its own making senior scientists have said as historically high temperatures continue to be registered in many parts of the world in late december the former NASA scientist James Hansen told The Guardian that 2023 would be remembered as the moment when failures became apparent. When our children and grandchildren look back at the history of human-made climate change, this year and next will be seen as the turning point at which the futility of governments in dealing with climate change was finally exposed, he said. Not only did governments fail to stem global warming, the rate of global warming actually accelerated. After what was probably the hottest July in 120,000 years, Hansen, whose testimony to the U.S. Senate in 1988 is widely seen as the first high-profile revelation of global heating, warned that the world was moving towards a, quote, new climate frontier with temperatures higher than at any point over the past million years. Now director of the climate program at Columbia University's Earth Institute in New York, Hansen said the best hope was for a generational shift of leadership. The bright side of this clear dichotomy is that young people may realize that they must take charge of their future. The turbulent status of today's politics may provide opportunity, he said. His comments are a reflection of the dismay among experts at the enormous gulf between scientific warnings and political action. It has taken almost 30 years for world leaders to acknowledge that fossil fuels are to blame for the climate crisis. Yet, this year's United Nations COP28 summit in Dubai ended with a limp and vague call for a, quote, transition away from them or from fossil fuels even as evidence grows that the world is already heating to dangerous levels. Scientists are still processing data from this blistering year. The latest 
to state it will be a record was the Japanese Meteorological Agency, which measured temperatures in 2023 at 0.53 Celsius above the global average between 1991 and 2020. This was far above the previous record set in 2016 when temperatures were 0.35 Celsius above that average. Over the longer term, the world is about 1.2 degrees Celsius hotter than in pre-industrial times. The U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration previously calculated that there was a greater than 99% chance that 2023 would be the hottest year in its 174-year data set. This followed six record warm months in a row, including the Northern Hemisphere's warmest summer and autumn. Veteran climate watchers have been horrified at the pace of change. The climate year 2023 is nothing but shocking in terms of the strength of climate occurrences from heat waves, droughts, floods and fires, to rate of ice melt and temperature anomalies, particularly in the ocean. Professor Johan Rockström, the Joint Director of the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research in Germany said, West Antarctica was affected by several winter heat waves associated with the landfall of atmospheric rivers. In early July, a Chilean team on King George Island at the northern tip of the Antarctic Peninsula registered an unprecedented event of rainfall in the middle of the austral winter when only snowfalls are expected. In January, a massive iceberg measuring about 1,500 square kilometers broke off from the Brunt Ice Shelf in the Weddell Sea. It was the third colossal calving in the same region in three years. This year's deadliest climate disaster was the flood in Libya that killed more than 11,300 people in the coastal city of Derna. In a single day, Storm Daniel unleashed 200 times as much rain as usually falls on the city in the entire month of September. Human-induced climate change made this up to 50 times more likely. Forest fires burned a record area in Canada and Europe and killed about 100 people in Lahaina on Maui Island, the deadliest wildfire in U.S. history, which happened in August. For those who prefer to calculate catastrophe, catastrophe in economic terms, the U.S. broke its annual record of billion-dollar disasters by August, by which time there had been 23. Raul Cordero, a climate professor at the University of Groningen and the University of Santiago, said the effects of this year's heat were being felt across South America in the form of unprecedented water stress in Uruguay, record-breaking fires in Chile, the most severe drought in the Amazon basin in 50 years, prolonged power shortages in Ecuador caused by the lack of hydropower, and increased shipping costs along the Panama Canal due to low water levels. Cordero said El Nino was forecast to weaken in the coming year, but above average or record temperatures were likely to persist for at least the next three months.
And as science has proved beyond any doubt, global temperatures would continue to rise as long as humanity continues to burn fossil fuels and forests. In the years ahead, the heat quote-unquote anomaly and catastrophes of 2023 would first become the new norm and then be looked back on as one of the cooler, more stable years in people's lives. As Hansen warns, unless there is radical and rapid change, failure will be built into the climate system. Um, so yes, I thought that this was an important story because um, if you've been listening, we've been talking about a number of different uh, weather events locally, nationally, and also around the world. And this is one way in which we're all connected, like we all share the planet. And, you know, sadly, in spite of the increasing frequency of these weather disasters and other problems with the ecosystem because of climate change, our so-called leaders are not doing nearly enough to seriously address it. Yeah, it's definitely always important for us to keep this story at the front of our minds um, because they just be playing with climate change and they've been doing that shit for way too long at this point. Um, I definitely feel um, like I wish there was a shift that we could actually quantify um, when it comes to climate change, I feel like that's part of the problem that we don't see as many shifts because we can't quantify the changes because things are already eroding and just so fucked up already. Um, but nonetheless, definitely something we need to keep talking about and on the front of our minds because it's not going to go away, people. And it's only gotten worse over the last years. Just yesterday, I think this morning, I read the story about those 40-foot waves hitting the coast of California right now. Um yeah, I feel like it's it's the season we're gonna see a whole bunch more sort of troubling things with it, and it's you know definitely shows where the focus of all administration across the world have been. If we don't see any reductions or anything going the other way, not just with climate, but also with a lot of issues with like racism, misogyny, like all of those things, I think that people are a little naive to assume that just because someone is younger that there's somehow going to be, you know, a freedom fighter. Like, I don't think that it's right to push that responsibility off onto some future generation. Because also, these are the children and young adults that are coming up now. Like, they don't remember what it was like in some places to have, like, yearly snowfall. So they're not... All these freak incidents, for them, it's, like, normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this assumption that just because they're younger like let's wait on them to grow up and do something like i think that that's a terrible idea like everyone who's alive now has a stake in this and we have to do something like burying your head in the sand and just pretending like everything is fine it's not cutting it absolutely and that we can come up with a measurable way to see that all right reese so for our last um news story of the day what do you have so this is a cute little article. It's from sunnyskies.com. Um, and the title is SPCA celebrates remarkable milestone, empty kennels for the first time in 47 years. 
Just two weeks ago, the animal shelter operated by the SPCA in Adams County, Pennsylvania was filled with cats and dogs. Today, there isn't a single dog in the building with the exception of one fortunate cat that wandered in as a stray. The Adams County SPCA extended its heartfelt gratitude to the residents who once again have come together to support the welfare of their furry friends. Furry friends. Our community stepped up once again. This is the first time in 47 years that the Adams County SPCA is empty, let alone at Christmas time. It's a true miracle. The SPCA wrote in the Facebook post. The staff and volunteers at the SPCA have tirelessly worked to ensure the well-being of animals under their care and to match them with loving forever homes. This year alone, the Adams County SPCA adopted our out almost 600 animals and reunited 125 strays with their owners. In the spirit of spreading goodwill, the SPCA plans to extend a helping hand to nearby shelters in Pennsylvania by pulling in animals in need next week. We will be pulling animals from other shelters in Pennsylvania next week in hopes of relieving some of their stress. The SPCA said right now we're going to enjoy this accomplishment. Merry Christmas. So I thought that was cute. Um, we don't really hear stories about things like this very often, so that's nice that these furry creatures found homes for the holidays, and, you know, I just think that's a really cute thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that's, you know, it's great news, you know, I'm an animal lover, my cat is curled up, um, next to me, and, um, I'm not, not to be Bob Barker, but remember to spay and neuter your animals, <laughs> and if you're looking for a pet, you know, adopt, don't shop, go to a shelter first, um, as opposed to like breeders and puppy mills and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of animals waiting, just waiting for a home. So yeah. Waiting but, to feel loved. Yeah. So I'm happy that they were able to empty the shelter out. Yeah, that's great. So, um, Reese. Yes, Jasmine. Well, it, it's been really great um, continuing to host the show with you. I'm so happy that you've been back and we've had another year down in the books. Thank you. It's always good to share with the RFB community. And, uh, you know, I love this show. I love being here and talking about things that are important. Yeah. So do you have any um, resolutions or anything you're looking forward to in the new year in particular? So I don't normally do resolutions. I just feel like they are just normally are a combination of my yearly goals, just, you know, with a timestamp on them. Um, but things that I'm going to try to do in the new year is, um, I, feel, I feel like I'm going to relocate again in 2024. So I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with that, but just to give myself some grace to figure out what's best for me um, and my family as well. Um, I definitely do think that I want to start just taking my vitamins every day. Hello? Can we just commit to the basic self-care? I have them. I have them situated and stuff. Uh, but a lot of times I just be like, it's the last thing on my mind. Uh, so really just treating my body better um, as a whole. And then lastly, I would like to get more involved in the community. So since I moved to the West Coast, I haven't really had a chance to engage in a community like I did when I was in Brooklyn. So I definitely am looking to get involved in some local, um, you know, just community advocacy opportunities uh, around the LA area focused on issues that are of my concern to my community. 
And then finally, just, you know, I'm trying to finish my book. So I've been in the process of writing a book for a while. So definitely going to accomplish at least the first one next year. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were writing a book. Yeah, it's been in the works for a while. So I just kind of been, you know, not really talking about it until I can really see it come into fruition. But I I feel ready. I feel like... I have, I've made time in my life to do so. So let's get it. Let's go. That's incredible, Reese. That's really great. Like moving in silence, but now you've broken the silence. (laughs) 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 Now you gotta hold me accountable. Well, you you done put it out there to the whole everybody listening, so they gotta be like, well, where's the book at? So don't worry. And I have pre-orders available for those who really want to support the movie. Right. Yeah. So I also want to, um, one of my big goals is I do want to get more involved in my community as well. You know, I, I think the way modern life is, especially in cities, sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in just going to work, coming home. But, you know, do you know who your neighbors are? Like, do you know what's happening? Like just on a very grassroots basic level and I definitely think that that's like one of the better ways to not feel hopeless about how things are is if you can get involved in something on a regular basis, like in your area, instead of just kind of being consumed by like more macro things, because all the things that you do, like on a local level do add up and they do matter. So that's one of my my big goals for 2024 is to be more of a community girly. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'll probably, I also want to get, I'm not writing a book. Ooh, I'm not there yet, but I did um take some writing classes before that I really enjoyed. So I'd, I'd like to get back into that and try to have more discipline with, you know, doing, working on something like that every day. I want to mm-hmm. read all the books on my bookshelf. Cause I have a hey, lot of books. That's, that, that's a big goal. Cause like I, I start so many and I get so into them and then I unfortunately like don't finish them all. So yeah, it's going to be new year, new me. Hey, I like it. I like it. Next time I'm in New York, I'm gonna have to hit you up. Hopefully I get to see you in person. We, you know, you've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio. Um, you are listening to this on New Year's Eve. Y'all be safe now. Be safe. It's going to be people watching the ball drop. And, you know, you might come back to New York. You might relocate. So, who knows? But I who know. Knows? <laughs> At least a visit. Um, yeah, well, I'm definitely gonna always visit. New York is one of my homes, so yeah, definitely do, definitely do that. So yeah, I think they always play this song um, every year for New Year's Rock and Eve. So for our last track and for New Year's Eve, this is the theme from New York, New York by Frank Sinatra. Happy New Year, everybody! Stay safe. Happy New Year. Bye. Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These 
vagabond shoes are longing to stray right through the very heart of it New York New York I want to wake up in a city that doesn't sleep and find out Little town blues are melting away. I'll make a brand new start of it in old New York. If I can make it there. It's up to you, New 